Welcome to the Mentis Podcast. Today, we're going to talk with our marketing coordinator, Allie Lane, and she's been in the marketing field from 2009 until current. Allie, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, what is a marketing coordinator? Like, what do you do on a day-to-day basis? Well, that's a loaded question. Mm-hmm. So, I have been in advertising, like you said, since 2009. I was a journalism major. I started out in advertising at the Daily Times, a newspaper. Um, as we all know, the news isn't a very relevant source anymore. Print media is kind of outdated. So, uh, marketing is an evolving term. You know, it changes with the times. Everything's moving to digital. Uh, you have my husband, for instance, who says that I play on social media for a living. So, <laughs> I mean, really, that could be. Certainly. I think, <laughs> well, some of the stuff that you, you do for a living could be applied to any, uh, any type of company that is being run. So... In today's world, what, what type of marketing is really the most effective? Like, where, If you're really trying to get that splash, where, where is today's money being spent? I mean, it seems like it evolves so fast. We're going from Facebook to Instagram and TikTok, and if TikTok gets canceled, and how do we build our brand so that we're strong enough if the government shuts down the TikTok account, and you know, do we still have a Twitter? All of these things are really, I think, top of mind to marketing people, and how are you getting through all of this? Right, so like you said, marketing is ultimately about building your brand. Some people interpret marketing as actual sales. And though it goes hand in hand, you know, you have to make it to that point first. So it all comes down to identifying your client profile. You know, you want to identify that person that you want your message to reach. So once you know who you're speaking to, then you can sort of find the platform where that person will see you. Uh, you want to be visible to that specific type of person. So as enticing as endeavors like TikTok or popular platforms can seem, it might not get the message to the right person. It's not for everyone. So what may work really well for one company might not be productive at all for another. So in our industry, specifically the real estate investing industry, that is a very specific client profile. So identifying that person's needs and you know, finding out where that person consumes their media is the most important piece. So you can find that out through trial and error, uh, which I have a lot of experience in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you put your advertising dollars into something that seems fruitful, and you see what kind of a response that you get. If you're getting, you know, all of this, you know, interest and traffic, but they're not qualified people, then that's not a productive endeavor. So once somebody does find you organically, whether it's through a search or through your website. Um, we've realized that the importance of building that communication. So from initial contact, um, your initial communications, all the way through to your emails, um, interactions with the client, uh, to your website usability, and your social media content. That all ties back to that first initial contact um, and making sure that it's specified to the person. So nobody wants to get automated emails. You're automatically subscribed to a mailing list every time you click on an ad these days and you get tons of junk mail. And what sets us apart from that is our mode of interaction with our client profile. I think that's that's really the most important is really kind of making it not seem like a computer. You know, it's exactly. really that human touch. Especially with, you know, I think in our industry it's a more specified or specific person that you're looking to engage with. Um, and they're looking probably for a higher quality experience than maybe just buying a t-shirt online. Exactly. And technology's made everything so cold and impersonal these days, it's easy to miss that. Of course. So really, at the end of the day, when the, you know, our business boils down to our customers are 
the people who are living in our apartments, mm -hmm. and that is serving our other customer, which is our investors. It's a piece of your reputation. Yeah. Right. So the people who are living in the apartments, how do we curate those reviews? Like, what have you seen as the best way to you know, boost a community's um, you know, reputation? Right. So obviously your best advertising source is always going to be word of mouth. So when you're managing your reputation online, you have to look at you know, how old are some of these reviews. If they're negative, uh, can they be resolved? Can you reach out directly to those people and see how they can be solved or resolved? Um, if they're more current, you know, you can contact that person and have them meet with you, request a phone call, etc. cetera. Uh, but you want to do everything you can to make sure that you're counteracting the negative with the positive. So, you know, if you have current clients that um, have had a great experience, you can contact them and say, hey, look, would you share your experience online with us? Um, and then most time, if they are happy with their experience, they'll be happy to do so for you. So it's not really a, a hard request. Um, and those sort of balance out those reviews and it really speaks for itself. In my experience with the reputation kind of management, you can hire companies to go and try to get better reviews or uh, work on the, the image of the, the business, but it seems like it always just comes down to the people who are behind those services or the people who are actually at the property. So like the property manager catching that moment where they're signing a lease, getting them to do a quick review, that, that seems like a much more likely and honest review uh, to get out of somebody rather than uh, you know hiring these services, which are relatively expensive. And mm -hmm. frankly, it, it doesn't seem like the people who are behind them, at least the, the services that we've tried, or don't seem like they're really invested in giving it really Best Yeah, exactly. Right. So really, those are actually guerrilla marketing techniques. I mean, the term actually means ambush warfare. So guerrilla marketing would be things like flyering sporting events, you know, littering parking lots with flyers, or spinning a sign roadside, like literally waving signs in people's faces. I mean, it works, right? So you're trying to get that visibility for your brand. Sure, I'm sure that's a piece. But those techniques are something that I think that we could do without. You want the word of mouth to speak for itself, and that all comes down to how you're building your brand. I think it really boils down to like making sure that the people who are involved on site know that that is a priority, and they're kind of aligned. And with your oversight, we've seen some improvement. I think that there's definitely some continued growth in that department, and we can really continue to see, uh, you know, track track results over time. Uh, and that's definitely something you know I think a lot of people are missing out on is really driving the narrative uh, with their with their reviews. So I agree. So let's uh, let's talk about Facebook. You know the, the the company that started it all. It seems like with its current stock price and direction and Meta, it seems like it's yesterday's news. But if you don't have one, it's like you're not. You're not even on, you know, not in existence. You've got to have a Facebook. You still have to have it. Uh, the, the demographics have changed. You know, it went from a college platform back in 2004, 2005, a uh, way for people to communicate, hey, do we have the same classes? Can we meet up after school? It was literally, you know, meant for college students. Here we've evolved to it's all of our moms sharing Christmas pictures with their dogs. Um, it's, it's a complete evolution. However, you still have so many people utilizing it that you're going to get so much visibility from that area. 
Um, you have to obtain a following first. So if you're a Facebook page, I could create one today called Ali's Facebook page and I could get four followers and start posting all day every day, but only those four people are gonna see it. And if I start advertising, if I'm not putting a lot of dollars behind it, I'm not gonna have a lot of eyes on my ads. So Okay, really, so how do you how do you build that following? How how does how do you get that audience? Mm -hmm. And is it just as simple as putting out good content? Is it having such a quality product that people will automatically follow? Like, it, what is it? And it, that's that chicken and the egg right. thing where maybe you don't have the best product. How can marketing make up for it in mm -hmm. the meantime? Right. So you want to obtain your following organically. Um, you know, through your other promotions, whether they be um, social events, local events, you have a vendor booth at Third Friday downtown, getting the word out about your business. Once you say, you know, hey, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, then people can go there to keep up with news. People who go to your website, you want to direct them to your social media that way. We have email campaigns that go out to potential and current investors with our social media at the bottom. You want those people to click through say, hey, I want to stay up to date on this stuff. And then once you obtain that following, your voice is actually reaching those people. Um, until then, you're just posting to post. You know? You're not going to receive shares, likes, feedback. It's not going to do anything for you except for waste your time until you've obtained those followings. And I think the best way to do that is organically including it in all of your other marketing aspects. And how often are you posting? Is that every, I mean, some companies seem to be posting like every minute, you know, every mm -hmm. two minutes. Like where's the sweet spot of saturation but not annoyance? Right. So you want to create a posting schedule that suits your needs, regular updates, things like that, but is also not hammering your audience. Um, you, don't, you don't want to see the same page come up over and over. So if you post a couple times a week and it's really engaging content, you're going to get a lot more views and likes than you would if you posted every day, all day. Um, the same thing goes for the type of content, you know, if you're just making up a basic Canva post and it's just a generic graphic design, um, that's not going to be very eye-catching. People want to see things, you know, that are personal touches, videos, um, things with people in them always get the most attention. So if I were to post a, a picture of you on your birthday, there's a chance that that post will get a uh, hundred more views or likes than I would just posting a picture of a building. So that really comes down to put some time behind it. Put some thought behind it. And the personal touch. And make it make it as something that you would actually want to consume yourself. Exactly. It, it's, it's not rocket science, but it is time consuming. I mean, it, right. it really, you know, I think you see some of the tools like Canva come in, and all of a sudden you see Canva everywhere, and all, all the designs start to look like it. And now if you don't have it, it's it, it's like you're behind. I mean, mm -hmm. you can't just be doing the, the generic uh, you know, post anymore. It seems like you have to just continue to evolve with these new tools. Mm -hmm. So some of these new tools might be, I don't know, Instagram or uh, LinkedIn is a little little older than Instagram. Uh, and of course now we have TikTok. Where do those maybe smaller social media companies come into play in all of this? Well, like you said, it does offer us new tools like Reels. You know, there are templates for Reels now where you can kind of plug in your video footage and add fun music to it and it's suddenly, you know, more engaging than what you had originally. I think they're really helpful things to have, but uh, you don't want to see just uh, Canva throwing up on your newsfeed and just constant, you know, repetitive things like that. Um, so... They are still tailored to an audience, like TikToks for a little bit younger generation. We have a student housing 
community under development um, where we want to reach college students probably is going to be on TikTok and Instagram. Um, so that's something you have to stay on top of. We're, you know, making sure that we create reels and engage with that audience, you know, with that content. Um, and so, like you said, it's just got to be tailored specifically to the platform we're using. Um, Facebook, it's probably going to be a little bit different than what we would post to our Instagram, for instance. Okay. So all of these things have a baseline free setting and of course if you want to pay money you'll get more uh, you know more exposure but let's do it in three different segments let's start with small advertising budget let's say it's a small 100 unit community they really might just be looking to lease new apartments what are the the must-haves what are the three must-have things that you're going to do with that smaller amount of time and resources to get exposure there then we'll maybe look at a larger, uh, kind of like a, a, a larger budget. Let's say you're um, doing a large new development that needs to raise, um, you know, 25, 50, you know, lar large amount of cap capital, mm -hmm. uh, and you want to get to a much larger audience. So let's start with a small one. What are the must-haves there, and then we, we can move with budgets. So for that small community, um, your must-have is going to be your reputation management. Uh, that That's going to be your starting point, whether you have just acquired the property and you're um, trying to kind of recover from a poor management company or you're just trying to get the word out. Um, you're going to have to look at your current residents, um, contact them for either reviews or feedback, see you know what their experience has been, how you can improve upon it. Um, resident retention is uh, it plays into that word of mouth. You know, like I said, it's the number one advertising source. And if you've got that going for you, then that's your starting point. So I would say reputation management would be number one. Number two would be communication. So, you know, you want to set up things like your email communications. I, I include social media as a form of communication. I think that um, we actually obtained Candler Village and we looked at their Facebook page. Again, nobody had posted in forever. The photo, the cover photo and the profile photo were completely out of date. There were horrible reviews on there from many years ago. Um, that was just something that was as simple as getting in there and freshening it up. You know, you want residents to be able to go on the Facebook page, comment, be able to reach an actual person. Um, that's, a, that's a form of communication. So I would say communications would be number two. And then number three would be personal touch. So getting on the property. Um, actually, you know, getting involved with the property management company and making sure that they're, you know, portraying the image you want them to. And with that smaller budget, what level of website are you you putting on, you know, putting out to the world? Is it uh, kind of just a template? Are you using like a Wix account? Like, what, what are you doing to absolutely as a basic? Absolutely, those are some more of those tools that are so readily available to us now in this day and age. Whereas, you know, in the past, you would have to hire um, HTML designer to actually code a website for you. Now you can go to Jimdo or Wix and WordPress. actually, yeah, yep, exactly. A yep. number of, of places you can actually just get a website template and do it yourself. Um, I find them simple and easy to use. I think the average person would. Um, and that's budget friendly. You know, you're talking 17 to $28 a month for a subscription yeah. to one of those. You know, the, the through line th through what you just said was kind of stick with it. Like start something and stick with it. The, the Facebook is a good example. People do these like flavor of the month things with advertising and it seems like they just don't see the results, but they're just not letting it grow. And I, I think a lot of people on the smaller end don't, you know, carry through with mm -hmm. those, uh, you know, I guess, commitments to, to improving their advertising. Well, it's instant gratification, right? Everybody right. wants immediate, you know, 
production from a simple endeavor, but you do have to keep up on those things. Um, if you let something fall off, even though it seems simple, like Facebook or Instagram, even email campaigns, whether it's to you know potential leads or existing clients, you know, if you let something like that fall off completely, then you're not going to be taken seriously, and and people are going to see that when there's no communication or response, sure. whether it's your out of date Google listing or your bogus website. Yeah. <laughs> you want to have that up to date communication. So larger budget. Now we're not talking massive company budget where you have a team of marketing professionals and graphic designers and a creative director with the marketing coordinator. We're not talking that size. Let's talk about uh, larger company, larger properties. What are the, the must-haves for kind of that that medium-sized business, if if you will? How much are you going to give me? Let's say let's say you got a hundred thousand dollars a year in annual spend. What are the what are the things that you're you're focused on today? So there are opportunities for higher budgets to sort of get involved in these national advertising campaigns. You know, you look at something desirable like bigger pockets. Um, you know, this is something that you want to sponsor their podcast. You know, this podcast is seen by millions and millions of viewers a day. Um, you know, you can advertise with them through their website or on their email newsletter for a small fee. But if you wanted to sponsor a podcast, you're looking at you know. $20,000 ad campaign here. It's a national advertising campaign. Um, that's like the big scale advertising. Mm -hmm. And though that would ultimately reach your exact target audience, it would be guaranteed to deliver to the people you wanted it to. You're going to pay that price. Um, so somewhere middle of the road, I would say it'd be worth the spend to get a website designed, you know, purchase the domain, make sure you have it designed, tailored to your needs. Um, I think it would be worth spending the money on a graphic designer. Um, graphics, you know, like you said, those can be outsourced, third party, whether it be website templates, blah, blah, blah. You know, if you have a graphic designer in-house, you're knocking that out of the park every time. You know, you don't have to rely on those free templates and you're gonna be putting out amazing quality. I would say that's probably one of the biggest differences I see between kind of the people who are on the smaller, smaller side of the scale mm -hmm. is you have a brand you know, you have a brand guideline or a brand package, and, and that is, those guidelines really dictate what we're doing, and it's consistent, it goes through everything, same font, same color palettes, it, it really, it's just a professional level of delivering the, the message. And So, I like to compare marketing your brand to a personal relationship, right? You meet somebody, and you evaluate your goals, you want to make sure that um, your goals are aligned, that you have core values that are similar. Um, you want to know what you expect and what you are willing to put out in return. So just like a personal relationship, that's what you're evaluating for your business. So on that personal touch, let's talk about the user experience or kind of like the client's experience with the brand and having that personal touch. I know we just got done with Christmas and a lot of people get uh, smaller, you know, just acknowledgements from our company uh, and a lot of, a lot of companies do the same. Uh, but really, the, I think one gift a year is not enough if you're not delivering a quality user experience or a seamless um, interface for people to work on, whether you're marketing apartments or whether you're selling a t-shirt. Mm -hmm. what, what are some of the, the leading user experience you know, aspects in the world today? So there's an example. We read a book called Brand Now by Nick Westergaard. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about this personal touch aspect, uh, brands like Hilton and Chewy.com. 
Um, Chewy will send you a personal gift if your pet passes away or is ill. Um, Hilton sends you personal gifts for Christmas for your birthday. Um, so he was talking about this personal touch and how it's un uncomparable results. So when you have these personal experiences, you're generating those testimonials from clients. You're generating that actual sense of care. Um, and that's just something that's unmatched. You can't really purchase that in advertising. Uh, so that's a point that I really like to refer back to when it comes to our interactions with our clients. So when we look through our customer experience, you know, hey, are, are we reaching out to this person on their birthday? Are we reaching out to check in, even if it's just been a while since we've contacted them? Um, you do investor updates for the properties and kind of let them know, hey, here's where everything's at, um, without them having to ask you first. Um, so that's just that personal touch that I, I think we add to our marketing. Yeah, and that's that's really a proactive, I think, you have to be quite proactive with that and listen when you get feedback. We've had investors say, hey, this was a little clunky or uh, difficult for me, and you know, it actually takes more time on, on the administrative side if you're not really giving them a, a, a you know, kind of proactive... Good user you know, experience. Yeah, good user experience. Right. We've got to give them the information they need easily. Uh, you know, they're not doing this all day long. Uh, people aren't looking for an apartment all day long. They just want to find... The information that they need. I, I, I can't stand when you go to a website and there's no pricing listed. And, you know, it's like right. some of the basics. You just want to treat them the way you would want to be treated. There's no like gotcha here where we get you on the phone and we're hard pressuring sales. I, that sort of stuff really drives me nuts. And I think we, you know, really, you know, I think do a de decent job of trying to make sure that our customers get that personal feel. But a lot of brands, uh, you know, I think the good ones really focus on it as well. For me, when I've when I start seeing trends, especially if they reach you know, kind of my feed, and I'm not like the most up-to-date social media type of person. So if, if I'm starting to see a trend, I mean, I know that that's really kind of already run its course. What's the cutting edge? Like, uh, you know, like, who are you watching? Are you watching like large brands? Are you just watching influencers? Are you like, is it just all of the above? You just kind of, uh, you know, trying to see something, you know, like maybe it's in the news today and you kind of react and quickly put something out. I mean, how effective is that stuff? Or is that kind of just noise for maybe a real estate investment company? Well, I think it's important to follow the large brands because a lot of us, even in the real estate investing industry, all the way to the delivery business, copycat each other and piggyback off of other people's ideas. So um, you have Stitch Fix, which was a clothing delivery company. You go on Stitch Fix, you tailor your look, they mail you clothing. Now you have a daily look. You know, they're competing with Stitch Fix saying they've got lower price points. Um, they'll actually match your style based on looking at pictures of you, things like that. So they're piggybacking off of one another, trying to do it better. You're always trying to do it better. I think it's important to know what your competitors are doing. If you know what the competition is doing, then you can make sure that you're staying one step ahead of them. The one platform that we, we haven't talked about yet, and that's the one we're on right now, is that the podcasting uh, kind of realm. What are people... You know what are people saying in the marketing field about where podcasts are going to go in 2023? Is this going to continue to be the trend? Is it really just continuing to see voices, uh, you know, continue to grow across all platforms? Where does the podcasting realm fit into, you know, real estate investment companies? So this is kind of a new space for us, right? You know, when we started out, we were looking at other real estate investors' podcasts and listening in and thinking, hey, this is really informative. Um, also, learning from them because. They tend to come off with a lot of industry jargon, um, kind of an air of arrogance, even toward their guests. So, you know, it, it can be both ends of the spectrum. So through all of our listening, you know, we decided to start our own. It's been a learning curve, I think, for all of us. Um, 
but we know what we want to do and what we don't want to do. We know what works and what doesn't work. I don't think podcasting is going anywhere. Um, I think it's how a lot of people consume, uh, I mean, even audiobooks now on Spotify, but um, you're consuming a lot of your news on Spotify through podcasts as well. A lot of celebrities, um, even comedians have podcasts. Um, I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. I think it's a booming, booming way of communication. And I think it's definitely something that we're going to keep pursuing in 2023. I think we're just going to grow. So I saw David Rubenstein, which is a uh, large investor and he does a lot of interviews. He has a really great podcast. He said, you know, it seems like everybody has a podcast these days. And he made a joke that, you know, it's like honk if you don't have a, have a podcast. <laughs> and I, I guess the point is, how do you stand out if you just put a microphone on and start recording conversations. There's so many out there. What are people doing to stand out? What do you think it, you know, is the most important thing for people to get the message across to people who you know, they're looking to, to talk to? Right. I know a lot of people like to hear themselves talk. And you know anybody can sit and talk into a microphone and think that people want to hear what they have to say. But as we know, that's not always the case. Um, like I said, you, know, you hear a lot of the industry jargon and people sounding full of themselves. And I think the important thing here is that you're here to provide insights. Um, you want to have open discussions. You know, we want to talk to guests on our podcast that can inform us so that we can be educated. I think it's a tool that really um, encompasses your audience wholly. So we're learning, you're learning, everybody's engaged. It's not just somebody sitting in front of you talking. Got it. So you're just saying the listeners getting that education kind of organically rather than through like a teaching not forced down their throat right (laughs) right which makes more sense Mm -hmm. Uh, well i really appreciate your time this afternoon giving us some insights on the marketing uh you know field right now it is broad as as we just kind of covered uh it'd be interesting to you know hear where we're at in a year kind of what you've been up to and uh appreciate it appreciate all the hard work keep it up thanks for having me yeah